Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monday edition of the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael and I'm joined today by Jeremy Greenfield of Digital Book World. Jeremy, how is your summer transpiring so far? Well, I had a little sick spell over the past few weeks, and that's why we haven't been able to talk, but I'm better now, and uh, it's going pretty well. All right, so I guess the one bit of news that has been captivating the world is the dispute between Amazon and a major publisher. I forget the name of the publisher. I haven't really been reading much about it. Um, Jeremy... What's what's the latest? Um, well, it's a, a protracted business dispute between Amazon and publisher Hachette. Um, the latest is a New York Times article this weekend in which each of the sides, um, Russ Grantinetti, the senior vice president of Kindle Content, who will be speaking at Digital Book World this year, and Hachette CEO Michael Peach basically outlined their positions. And it was almost as if the New York Times reporter David Streitfeld was sort of moderating a, a negotiation or a debate between the two. And Amazon says, hey, this is the first time in a very long time we've been able to sort of negotiate on ebook prices uh, without the government being involved, without publishers colluding. And we just want to lower ebook prices. We think it's better for authors. We think it's better for publishers because they end up making more money in the end. And we think it's better for readers. And, and, you know, we think that publishers have been ungrateful for the fact that we created this whole new, very lucrative market for them. And Michael Pete says, you know, this is about, you know, who controls the future of reading, what's an acceptable amount of uh, money for a publisher to make for its contribution to the to what happens in book publishing. And, you know, we have made our most generous offer of a chef to date. And uh, David Streitfeld wrote, and I think he's a, a probably a pretty good source on this, that he would not be surprised if the negotiation came to an end soon, that there was some kind of agreement. Um, but obviously, time will tell. And I think publishers are sort of waiting uh, with their breath held. Uh, I think there are a lot of publishers out there that think that if Hachette capitulates to what Am- whatever Amazon's demands are, that other publishers will as well, and that the business of publishing will change fundamentally. You know, we had a webcast um, a few weeks ago uh, with David Streitfeld of the New York Times, who, who wrote that story and who broke most of the Hachette news, um, asking him, you know, do publishers deserve to make a living? Do they deserve to exist? And he said, that's a really good question. Uh, and we'll see in the future whether the, the current publishing business model is something that, that does exist. It may not. One of the ways, I guess, that Amazon is trying to appear as more of the good guy in this is to offer authors that belong to Hachette 100% royalties. Now, a lot of people are saying, Jeremy, that this move is to try to help um, stop all the negative press that authors are making and to try to get them to get onto Amazon's side in this dispute. Do you think it's working? Um. You know, I think that if you talk to Amazon, they'll say, you know, we just want to take authors out of the crossfire. And if you talk to Hachette um, and some of Hachette's supporters, they'll say, well, this is just a PR trick by Amazon to make us seem like the bad guys, the authors. Um, you know, I think that it's not, it's not an offer that Hachette can reasonably agree to, but it also, you know, hurts them in maybe the public eye and with some authors to not agree to it. You know, some authors might say, well, why don't you agree to it? Let's, 
let's take authors out of the equation, let's make it so authors aren't hurting anymore. Um, you know, the fact is that a set gets nearly a fifth of its revenue from Amazon through selling ebooks from Amazon and sort of to give up a fifth of its revenue stream, um, you know, for however long it takes isn't really uh, good for Amazon. And, you know, or good for good for a set, I mean, and, and certainly wouldn't be good for Amazon either from a monetary standpoint. But because the split on ebook, um, if they're sold at digital list prices, 30%, 70% for a set, and if Amazon discounts them, the set basically gets gets all of the, the revenue, um, it's really only going to hurt Hachette. I mean, Amazon could, if theoretically, if it was paying out 100% royalty to authors, it could sell books uh, at cost, and it wouldn't cost them anything. Hachette would just have to pay all the money to authors. So really, this would just kind of hurt Hachette, uh, and it wouldn't really necessarily incentivize Amazon to you know, do a better deal, because Amazon isn't really uh, going to be hurt by uh by, by losing that amount of revenue. I mean, Hachette amounts to a very, very, very tiny percentage of overall Amazon revenue. Um, you know, that said, there are some authors that are probably going to be turned off by this. And I think there are some authors, you know, led by the Authors Guild who are going to see this as just another way that Amazon's trying to manipulate them or manipulate the situation. Um, you've got a lot of dug-in parties here who are really set in their opinions and um, aren't really changing them uh, or altering them so far as I can tell. Speaking of the Authors Guild, the American Authors Guild released a statement saying that the 100% royalty for Hachette authors was highly disingenuous. Uh, they said, we're not interested in a short-term windfall to some of the writers we represent. What we care about is a healthy ecosystem where all writers, both traditionally and independently published, can thrive. We believe that such an ecosystem cannot exist while entities within it are committed to the eradication of other entities. That's them be fighting words, Jeremy. Yeah, and I think that that is another thing that people don't really think about in this dispute. You know, um, authors and publishers, um, you know, especially traditionally published ones, but I would also say independently published ones, you know, sort of want to have this ecosystem where they're they're working with a lot of retailers, and the retailers have to compete with each other. Um, so, you know, Hachette doesn't really want to make a deal that gives Amazon more power to crush its competitors. You know, it's not even necessarily about Amazon being able to control Hachette. Um, you know, there are companies that do different things, and at the end of the day, Hachette's really going to live or die on the quality of the books that it produces and the way that it goes to market with them. But Amazon does compete directly with Barnes & Noble and with Walmart and a number of others. And so at the end of the day, Hachette kind of doesn't want Amazon to be able to crush these other companies out of business. And that's what's happening in digital publishing with eBooks, that Amazon... Um, ever since agency publishing, agency pricing went away, excuse me, has been able to really outcompete uh, some of its uh, competitors like Barnes & Noble. And Hachette doesn't really like that. And I think authors don't like that. And that's what they're alluding to in that they want to see a lot of competitors out there. Now, if you're Amazon, what they're basically saying to you is, you know, we don't want to see you win against your competition. We want to see you continue to struggle against your competition. Not because they don't like Amazon, which I think many of them do have these negative feelings towards Amazon, which may or may not be valid, but because they legitimately benefit from there being competition in the book selling space. So even if, it's, if there's a short-term deal that benefits them, you know, like getting extra royalties for eBooks, um, you know, in the long term, uh, having just one retailer, which is what a lot of authors think this is going to lead to, uh, doesn't benefit them. So, 
you know, some, some authors believe that Amazon is a force for good in the publishing world. Some authors believe that it's a force for bad in the publishing world. But this particular group of authors, you know, has this particular motivation, regardless of, you know, whether they're right or wrong. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. It's regarding selling ebooks directly to readers. You know, in, in the past, major publishers didn't want to undercut the bookstores because it's their, mm -hmm. their bread and butter, you know, for uh, sending books off and having them sold. And same with, you know, online digital sales. You know, publishers were a little bit remiss to start selling their own books because, you know, a few years ago there was a, a – the, the, the ebook system was thriving, you know, Barnes and Noble, Sony, uh, Amazon, and everyone else, you know. Now we have like other companies like Blinkbox Books and things like that in the UK that are really starting to take off. And now publishers are starting to reevaluate selling books and ebooks directly. Uh, HarperCollins recently started selling ebooks last October, I believe, um, on their website. They released their reading app, and now they are selling tangible books alongside uh, the ebooks and they're giving big discounts for people to be able to um, you know purchase this and actually save money you yeah what's happened here is that HarperCollins was sort of tentatively dipping its toe into selling ebooks through um, brands like narnia.com and a little bit through its own website um, and now it's launched a very extensive very aggressive e-commerce site where it is selling everything through HarperCollins.com. And HarperCollins.com has become a uh, very uh, legitimate and very aggressive, you know, retail destination. They are discounting. They are effectively competing with their partners like yeah. Barnes & Noble and Amazon. Um, and I think that this move uh, has a lot to do with, you know, first of all, the leadership at HarperCollins. Um, the new, the chief digital officer and chief marketing officer do not come from book publishing. They come from outside of book publishing. Um, Chantal Rossi-Roleski, the chief digital officer, comes from uh, investment banking and other areas of media and music. And um, Angela Trebelli uh, comes from NYC and Co., which is a public-private partnership to promote uh, New York City and, and tourism. And um, they're both very, very, very smart, very savvy executives. And they took a, a fresh look at the marketplace and saw what some a lot of other publishers have seen, including F&W Media, my own employer, which started selling direct four or five years ago, um, Verso Books most recently. A lot of publishers now are investigating you know, this. It, it's a very complex operation because, first of all, selling things is not as easy as it seems. And second of all, especially when you're selling hundreds or even thousands of things, and they're all very specific, like books and e-books, um, and second of all, you are competing with your partners, and that's a very touchy thing in the publishing world. Um, so I think the move has to do with, first of all, you know, you've got these people looking at this business problem with fresh eyes. And second of all, there's a lot of incentive to sell direct today because it's, the barriers to doing so are so much lower than they've ever been, and the incentives are so much higher. You know, HarperCollins is looking over what's happening between Amazon and Hachette and is thinking, I don't want that to be me. When when it comes time for us to negotiate with Amazon or with Barnes and Noble or with any other retailer, you know, should the worst happen where they sort of block our books or, or in Barnes and Noble's case, you know, put them at the back of the store or don't stock them. Um, in Amazon's case, you know, remove buy buttons. At least we'll have this lifeline where people can go and buy books from us and we can even say, hey, we know that there's something going on between us and Barnes and Noble. You know, bear with us; we're working on it. But in the meantime, you can come to HarperCollins.com, and we're giving you a 15% discount. Um, 
so I think it's a very savvy move, and I think it's not only sort of harnessing trends that we're seeing across media, but also preparing for the future uh, in which HarperCollins might have to battle with some of its its partners. Well, I remember last time we talked, Hachette actually struck a deal with a store within a store concept on the Books a Million website where they're selling ebooks directly at anywhere between like a 10 and like 30, 40% discount on front list and back list titles. So it seems as though now like a lot of publishers are trying to circumvent their established retail partners and actually and online partners as well to you know, to do what you said, you know, if the worst comes to worst and titles are pulled, buy it now buttons are pulled, pre-order buttons are pulled, at least they're able to garner money from other sources. But do you think that this is in the long term from the publishing industry? Do you think this is the right call? Like if, you know, we, we're seeing two people do it now. We haven't really seen like, uh, you know, Penguin Random House do it or anything like that. But do you think this is the future of, 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 publishing, you know, publishers directly selling their stuff to consumers? You know, I don't know if it's the future of publishing. I think more publishers are doing it now, and, and you're going to see it at least in the short-term increase. But I know it's publishing the past. You know, book publishers used to own bookstores, and they would sell their books through those bookstores. And in Italy, major publishers still own bookstores. And Barnes & Noble owns Sterling, which is a big, you know, mid-sized publisher. And Amazon now has its own publishing company. If you read, you know, the great article this weekend by David Streifeld on Amazon, you know, he talks about this sort of future of publishing where this one author, you know, works at Amazon Publishing who sells his books exclusively through Amazon and everything is promoted through Amazon. The reviews are written on Amazon by Amazon buyers and it's sort of this one publisher, one bookstore ecosystem. So it may not be publishing future per se, but it's something that's always been part of publishing and people should realize that. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, Jeremy, but I've written a number of articles that have not exactly painted indie authors in the best of light. And, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of flack from people in the industry, um, people like Hugh Howie, Sylvia Day, Mark Coker, number of uh, famous writers that have um, not exactly agreed with my viewpoint. And, you know, I expect that because I, I'm pretty opinionated. And, and sometimes, like, if, if things yank my chain, I, I feel compelled to write about it. But for the one, of the, I think for the first time ever, your uh, your site, Digital Book World, has has garnered some, you know, publicity in, 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 in this respect. What's up? Yeah, um... So basically, there was an article written at Future Book. The, it's a really good blog. If you don't know it, you should check it out on the bookseller.com um, about what's happening in publishing right now. It's, it's UK-based about the, a new report about how much money authors are making. And it dredged up not only our author earnings uh, report um, from January, but also Hugh Howe's author earnings report, which is called author earnings. Or it's called what publishers want or what authors want. I can't remember. And it really talked about ours in this very unflattering light, and it talked about his in this, like, unsentingly flattering light and unquestioning. This very sort of party line that, that this author earnings report is the real deal and that, you know, what we did, which is survey 9,000 authors and have a data and statistics PhD, you know, help us craft the survey and then write the report, it is somehow illegitimate. And it made me a little upset, and I wrote the author, and I said, you know, how can you go through with this without questioning it? And they said, well, don't tell me how to write my article. So I said, okay. And then, and then there was this, like, Twitter, you know, uh, 
back and forth about how digital book world is biased against Amazon and biased against indie authors. And so I wrote this blog post basically setting the record straight. And I've said publicly many times that I think that, you know, the democratization of access to wide audiences, basically the ability to reach a lot of people through self-publishing, is one of the most amazing things happening in book publishing now. And as a writer, it, it heartens me greatly that people, anyone can publish a book. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's wonderful. It's even more amazing that some people can make a killing doing it. People like Hugh Howie have become millionaires doing it. And the fact that, that another small group of people, you know, can make money doing it is also just like, it blows my mind and it's fantastic. But the fact is, is that, you know, the vast majority, 95% plus, of self-published authors, of all authors, don't make a lot of money. They don't make enough money to support themselves solely as authors. Um, you know, I think what is a lot of money, we can we can argue, but, you know, I, I would guess that it's under, you know, $100,000 a year. So the vast majority don't do that well. And we've written this, and we've, we've, we've gotten self-published authors angry at us for this, which I don't understand why they're angry at us for saying, you know, that as a group, most authors don't make money. I mean, because, because if they make money, well, we must be wrong. So this was one of the things that drove Hugh Howe to do this author earnings report. Now, if you're familiar with the author earnings report, and you're also familiar with, like, data and analytics, you know that it's full of a million billion flaws. Um, and we've outlined many of them many times before. I'm not going to go over them, but it's basically deliberately misleading. And, you know, in, in the first time they published the report, there was a lot of openness saying, like, we know that there are problems with this and we want to make it better. And, you know, us and other people have come to them and said, hey, here are some of the problems with it. And they basically just ignored us. Um, on the other hand, they say that our report is a self-selected sample, which we've been very open with. Yes, we got, we gathered our report from the Internet. We wrote, we wrote extensively on what our sample is like, what our median person is like. We've also written about the fact that it's an unscientific sample, it's an unscientific survey, and what that means. And, and we've generated results based on that, and we've been very clear about it. And we've also been very open to criticism and feedback. And, you know, the questions that we ask and the way we ask them are going to change this year as a result. So I wrote this long scribe about why I was upset, and, and throughout all this, um, one of the things I mentioned was that the, the data person, data guy, who does author earnings, this sort of secret, mysterious data person who we can't know who he is because Amazon will, you know, get back at him if they know what he's doing. Meanwhile, we've been openly scraping Amazon and other booksellers for, for years now to generate our bestseller list. And... Um, he was outed by somebody who follows us on Twitter and was a sympathetic person. And we went to Hugh and I said, is this the guy? And he said, yes, this is the guy. And I went to the guy and I said, is this you? And he didn't get back to me. So he added it to the article. And then an hour later, he wrote back, no, I was just kidding. I was, I was messing with you. He used the word that I won't use on, on your podcast, but I was just <laughs> messing with you. And, uh, you know, I, so I wanted you to write an article that you'd have to retract later, which it just blows my mind that somebody would deliberately lie to a journalist in an email when they're asking you for a question. And he said, maybe I should have put a little winky face in there to make sure that you knew I was being sarcastic. I mean, like, this is a well-known thing among adults that sarcasm doesn't translate well on Twitter and Facebook and instant messaging and text messaging. Like, you kind of have to sell it pretty hard. But the point is, is that when a journalist is asking you to confirm something, like, it's not the best time for sarcasm. It's like most people would know that. Um, but I guess I'm I'm the fool for believing that, you know, when someone tells me something that it's the truth. Um, and I do feel kind of foolish for believing it. But but I did, and I put it in, and then I, and I had to take it out. Or I didn't take it out. I updated the story, uh, basically saying that the, the confirmations are going to I mean, between you and me, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. Um, I do think that the guy that we outed is the quote-unquote data guy. Um, there is definitely some evidence. His name is, was on the first 
um, Excel document that Author Earnings put out uh, before in, it was scrubbed and subsequent Excel document downloads, but the name has been scrubbed. Um, you know, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that there's been this like feud that has exploded, and I just think it's so silly. You know, self-published authors, some of them seem to think that you know they can't succeed unless published traditional publishers fail, and anyone that says anything nice about traditional publishers is also saying something bad about self-published authors, and that's just not true. You know, I've gone in front of groups of authors, I've gone in front of groups of publishers, and I've basically said, I think self-publishing is an amazing thing. It's basically a miracle, and everyone is a huge trend that everyone needs to pay attention to. And the self-published authors are really smart and really savvy about doing what they do. Um, but I guess because we put out a report which basically surveyed a lot of authors about how much money they make, and it showed that the vast majority of them don't make a ton of money, it pisses people off. And by the way, you know, if you go across all the other arts, you know, music and, and theater and, you know, film and television acting and you know, most people don't make a lot of money doing these things when they try to do them. You know, about 2% of artists actually, quote-unquote, make a living doing it. And I don't understand why authors would be any different. I don't understand why they think authors would be any different, that they would somehow not conform to this, this truism across other art, artistic endeavors. You know, that said, you know, Digital Book World and, and me, I'm here for self-published authors and, and publishers who want to know more about what's going on in ebooks and digital publishing, and, uh, you know, I hope I didn't offend anybody, um, and I hope that, you know, even people like you, Howie, uh, continue to read us. By the way, you know, one of the things that got this started was that Hugh Howie tweeted that when it comes to reporting on Amazon, our bias is quote-unquote horrid. Now, a day, literally one day earlier on a webcast about Amazon with David Streitfeld of the New York Times and Laura Owen of Giga Owen, he was a listener in the webcast, and he wrote in that I'm quote-unquote killing it when it comes to asking tough questions of both reporters. And months earlier, he said that the two reads that he looks forward to every morning are the New York Times on his driveway and his EBW Daily in his inbox. So I don't understand how Digital Book World is this horrible thing that he publicly can just throw under the bus, but privately he loves. Um, it, it mystifies me, but I hope he continues to be a reader, and I do think it's a good resource for, for indie authors, you know, whether they, they like always like what we have to say or not. Uh, well, I, apparently I saw a few tweets where he said that for, I guess, one of your, I guess your rebuttal headline and whatnot, he was commenting on the title of the post. Apparently he was saying that he never even read it. Yeah, um, so we posted something about Mark Coker talking about why he is hoping that Hachette wins uh, in this current negotiation. I mean, another thing that mystifies me is, like, people will say, like, oh, well, I'm I'm supporting Hachette, I'm supporting Amazon. You know, not nobody, none of these people, like Hugh Howey and, and Mark Coker included, have any influence whatsoever in this negotiation. Like, what they want and what they think has nothing to do with what's actually going to happen. So when they say they come out supporting or not supporting something, like it has no real effect. Um, but 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 Mark Coker wrote basically on how he why he would hopes the shut is going to win the negotiation, and we had a headline for the article, Smashwords CEO, blah 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 blah, and then we had our newsletter headline, which is basically meant to get you to open it and read more and, and click in, which says prominent indie authors does blah 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 blah. People took exception to us saying that Mark Coker was a prominent indie author. Um, you know, I, people, I think, put a little bit too much emphasis on labels sometimes. You know, indie authors don't want to be called self-published authors sometimes. They want to be called indie authors. Um, and, and there's a lot of argument about what is self-publishing. Like, if you 
author solutions and you say author solutions, you know, publish my work, uh, is that self-publishing? Well, a lot of self-published authors don't think that is self-publishing, which I just don't understand that at all. So um, basically, uh, they don't think Mark Hoker is a prominent indie author. I mean, he does run Smashwords, which is a huge distributor of indie titles. He has several books that are out there. Uh, he's for 600,000 downloads. Uh, I know that many of those downloads are free, but he's been very well read on the topic, and he's certainly knowledgeable, but uh, not just what indie authors say, but, but what indie authors do through his platform. So um, the whole the whole anger about it really just confused me, um, and I just wish indie authors and everyone in the industry would, you know, think about how we're all in this together. You know, we all love books. We all love reading. We all want to see the advancement of literary culture. We all want to see, um, you know, people read more. Uh, you know, I don't care who sells the books, to be quite honest, but I think a lot of them out there do want to see, like, a, a, a more uh, a, a more diverse retail ecosystem. So, you know, we're, we're basically all in this together, and I wish that, um, you know, self-published authors and, and uh, everybody could sort of Instead of focusing on our differences, focus on focus on what we have in common. Well, it's very a utopian viewpoint. I have been quite vocal about you know distinctions and how everyone seems to label each other in different ways when it comes to publishing. You know, you're an indie author, you're a self-published writer, you're an author, you're a self-pubbed author, you're a best-selling author, you know, you're a no-selling author. And I always thought that, you know, it's either you're a writer or you're an author. You know, if you could derive your, your soul living from the process of writing, you're an author, and for everyone else, you're a writer. And that includes, like, online journalists, you know, uh, people that, like, contribute maybe an article a month to their local paper. I just think that, like, there's just so many uh, distinctions when it comes to labeling writers. It just gets lost in the cacophony of terminology where you look to the average reader who's trying to find more about, you know, maybe an author that they like or maybe a book that they heard about. And just like all these terms are just thrown out there and they're just wondering what it all means. You know, when you're in a publishing world like us, you know, we understand what all these terms mean. But for the average person, it's just it's too convoluted. So, I, you know, I just thought, you know, you're a writer or you're an author. Just because you write a book doesn't mean you're an author. But if you're successful or you make some sort of like living from it, then you then you can be an author. Um, so I've always kind of thought that the classification system for for authors or for writers is just it's too confusing, and, and it just it needs to be simplified. Uh, otherwise, you don't, you know, as we're seeing now, everyone's just polarized. You know, you have sites devoted to like author bullying now and you have like communities of authors that are all about you know someone left a negative review on my book on amazon everyone go downvote it and i'll leave a positive review for your book and you know people do things like that so yeah yeah it's pretty despicable um that people will do things like that but you know it's a, it is a dog eat dog world so you know i don't know if you can totally blame people for that maybe blame the system um but I would also say, you know, to me, those distinctions aren't important except when you're talking on, like, an academic level, excuse me, when, when you are wondering whether, um, you know, 
who's making money publishing and let's do surveys of authors and see who's doing what and why, then I think it's important to classify authors because you don't want to lump in all of the people who haven't even published a manuscript yet with people who have only self-published, with people who have only traditionally published, with people who, you know, have hybrid published but their, but their last book was traditional versus their last book was self-published or their last book was reclaiming back rights. I think then it's important to make distinctions. But, you know, Michael, you and I don't always have to agree on everything, do we? No, and that's the fun of it. Yeah. So uh, I was at the American Library Association annual conference, and there was two major trends that came out of the show. I've talked about it on a previous show when I spoke with Mercy Pilkington, a staff writer here at Goody Reader, but I wanted to get your impressions of it. So the two trends were uh, pay-per-use, which is a library, instead of having to buy titles in advance, could simply offer all of the titles and they only pay if a user checks a title out. So it makes collection managers' jobs a little bit easier because they don't have to you know, pick and choose or try to you know, understand the community. They could just say, look, you know, here's 100,000 audiobooks download whatever you want, you know, and they could establish thresholds, daily, weekly, or monthly spending limits, makes things a little bit easier. Uh, that was one of the major trends of the show. Do you think that this is going to catch on? I think that kind of, that kind of acquisition is going to be work. It will work for some, but not for others. And it's problematic because there are situations in which librarians can get into uh, that kind of acquisition that they will very soon regret. So let's say Fifty Shades of Grey comes out and Fifty Shades as part of this pay-per-use library. Um, well, the patrons could very quickly uh, go through all of the copies of Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, all of the library's budget by, by reading too many copies of Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, maybe some kind of metered or, or uh, access of that kind that the library could slow it down if there was a very popular title or they could set limits on certain kinds of titles or certain uh, or in certain situations where there would be sort of like um, triggers that if something was being borrowed too much um, and it was breaking the bank that it would sort of slow down or turn off or there would be some kind of limits. I think a hybrid version of that might be something that a lot of libraries would find attractive because um, it would take a lot of the uh, guessing out of acquisitions and um, collection development, uh, especially for ebooks where you know you have to make really good choices because you can't resell the books the way you can with other books. It, it, it's a definitely a much harder thing for librarians to cope with. So I do think it's promising. I don't think in, in a sort of straight ahead form that it would work for most libraries. The second major trend, and this had garnered a tremendous amount of negativity. Like people were outraged by the fact that Simon & Schuster has mandated that if libraries want to have their ebooks, so backlist, frontlist titles, the libraries have to offer a buy it now button and they must have like e-commerce solutions. Now, you know, all the, the top library distribution companies, 3M Cloud, Baker and Taylor, Overdrive, they've all developed these systems. So it's not like a library has to get involved in e-commerce, but their existing partner that facilitates ebook lending uh, has this system. But a lot of libraries were saying that this is an abuse of public trust because we're going to have to get into retail if we want to be able to offer, you know, the latest James Patterson book or something like that. What are your thoughts about libraries as retail? 
I mean, a lot of them are already doing it, and a lot of them are doing it as ways to uh, stay afloat and to make money. Um, that's, I don't know if that means it's right or not. I'm, I'm just saying that it's not like, you know, every single library in the world is blanching at this. I think probably a lot of them are upset at being told that they have to do something uh, rather than entering into it voluntarily. Um, you know, I, I don't think people in general really like that when they're told that they have to do something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this, unfortunately for librarians, is the are the conditions under which they have to do business with these big publishers. Now, I would say to them, if you really want to send a message to the publishers that you don't like the terms under which they're doing business with you, then don't buy the books. Find some other way to spend the money. Um, you know, there's got to be alternatives to, to bowing down to these terms. And, you know, get really good at marketing. If your patrons complain to you and they say, uh, why, don't, why, can't, why don't you have this book available? Or why can't I get this book? Um, you know, you have to market aggressively and say, you know, here are the reasons why we can't have this book, but here's what we've done with the money to make sure that we're serving you well. Um, and the, the other thing that I would say is you could also, you know, have a very minimal collection of ebooks uh, if you don't like the terms. So, um, you know, the big book comes out from the publisher that you don't think is doing a good job, buy one copy of the ebook. So you're, you have it, and, uh, you know, the patrons do technically have access to it. Um, but uh, the but 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 you're also not giving the publisher you know the business that they want you know the publishers are doing these things because they're seeing that it works for them it works for their business uh, they need the library channel in a lot of ways because libraries help with book discovery and it's also a revenue source for them um, so if you just continue to do business with them on the one side but complain about them on the other you're sending a big signal um, so I think that you know I'm not going to say that libraries deserve. Uh, what they've gotten with ebooks, but they're not really helping out their own case by continuing to buy ebooks from publishers under the terms that they say they don't like. I listened to the the president elect of the American Library Association, and she had nothing but glowing things to say about the deal, saying that this was a tremendous accomplishment to have Simon & Schuster on board on a nationwide rollout, and libraries should be thankful that they could now buy frontlist and backlist titles, but she did not mention the Buy It Now button at all. And this, you know, behind the scenes, you know, I stopped probably over about 150 librarians, you know, mostly young, hip, cool girls. And it just gave me an end to like chat them up. But that's besides the point. I mean, I'm a journalist and I had important questions to ask, um, email and phone numbers aside. Um, but I, I, I kid, um, or am I? Anyways, um, everyone was like really negative about it. And it seems as though that the AILA administration is just counting their stars that they managed to get Simon & Schuster, you know, uh, into the, the playing field. You know, that they're there and they could all pat themselves on the back that all their lobbying uh, through Washington came through. And all of the, you know, the years of negotiating with them one by one in New York is suddenly coming to fruition. But the actual terms are really pissing off librarians. But your average librarian really doesn't have any clout, you know. Um, they, you know, sure, one or two libraries could say, you know, we don't like these terms, we're not going to proceed with them. But at the same time, who's even going to know? I, I think that maybe a boycott is is called for, or maybe a change.org petition, something where libraries could band together and have a unified voice outside of the ALA administration, which really, to me, seems pretty self-serving at the moment. 
do you think a boycott would work? You know, I don't know if these things would work, but I'm just saying as, you know, somebody who knows a little bit about negotiations that um, when you tell the person you're negotiating against, on the one hand, that we don't like your terms, but on the other hand, you know, continue to enthusiastically do business under those terms, um, you're not helping yourself out. So I don't want to say that libraries should boycott uh, publishers or or should boycott, uh, you know, the distributors that distribute ebooks to them. Um, but I'm saying that if they do want to get the publisher's attention and actually say, we don't find this acceptable, then you have to put your money where your mouth is. Um, I'm not going to say that that's a boycott, but that might be, you know, uh, one way of doing it. One of the last things I want to talk about is free ebooks. And I saw a Smashwords survey that they did primarily centered around Apple iBooks. And they tracked the last three or four years of free titles versus paid titles. And, you know, in the past, you know, when everyone was buying a new iPad and a new Kindle, you know, when those started really hitting the mainstream, everyone was downloading books, everyone was buying books, it was record revenues for, you know, all the e-reader manufacturers for the people making the tech that comprises of them. Um, but also, you know, companies like Barnes and Noble and Sony and Kobo, you know, they all were making a lot of digital revenue around this time. Uh, but what we've seen is the ratio, uh, really even out. Uh, let's look at some stats. Uh, in 2012, for every one purchased book, 100 were downloaded for free. In 2012, for every one book purchased, 91 were downloaded for free. And in 2013, for every one book purchased, only 39 were downloaded for free. So the question I have to ask, Jeremy, is that is authors relying on giving their books away for free in order to build their name or to, you know, give the first book in a trilogy away for free in order to get those two paid purchases for the next two books? Do you think that, you know, what's happening with free? Uh, you know, a lot of those ebooks are books that are not meant to ever generate sales, uh, per se, that they're books that people give away to let someone know that they're an expert on a topic. Um, to share information, you know, ebooks have gone beyond, you know, pleasure reading and uh, people paying for books. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that a lot of those free downloads uh, are not, you know, self-published authors necessarily just giving away book content for free, although some of them are. Um, some of them are established publishers giving away book content for free as well. Um, a lot of those downloads are ebooks, you know, entering different things. And, and I would make a distinction uh, in surveys like that between uh, books that are sort of given away uh, as, you know, a freebie because I want to tell you that I'm an expert in something versus books that are, um, you know, uh, given away as part of a promotion or just I want to share my writing with the world. And also, you know, consider how things like Wattpad um, uh, impact this sort of thing. Yeah, when I look at the iBooks, the best, like uh, the top downloads list, paid list is all great writers you know famous people people that are household names and so on and then you look at the free list and it's like how to get the most of your ipad how to troubleshoot the iphone 5s how to do this it's you know it's, it's basically like a lot of non-fiction uh tutorial guides and then you see like the odd you know erotica title so it seems as though that 
because free is not doing as well as it used to be, it seems as though that the free that does well the most is kind of what you said. It's a lot of technical. It's a lot of nonfiction. It's certainly not pleasure reading. So, you know, this is not indicative to the ebook market crashing, but it's it's a growing. You know, uh, book sales were up three point eight percent in twenty thirteen. We saw about one point three billion dollars worth of revenue being garnered from it, and even companies like Microsoft are finding that you know just because we're giving away three hundred super advanced technical uh, ebooks for free does not necessitate a copious amount of downloads. I was looking at. Um, the top 300 books on Microsoft just announced that they're giving away for free. You know, how to program, you know, it's just very technical, geeky stuff. And it's like one download, five downloads, 15 downloads. And I could just, you know, if they would have done this like two or three years ago, this probably would have been in the thousands. Um, Mm -hmm. Before we wrap up the show today, do you have any final thoughts or anything that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on? Uh, no, I, I'm just curious to see what happens if Amazon is shut. You know, I thought that disputes, quite honest, would, would go on through the rest of the year, that we would be at Digital Book World 2015 in January, and that the dispute wouldn't be resolved. But, um, you know, a very reliable reporter on the topic uh, thinks that we actually will see something uh, soon when, in terms of resolution. So I'm going to watch that carefully over the next few weeks, and I, I think everyone else should as well. Yeah, I mean... Um they're, they're crunched for time because I, I do know that there's a window period in which the second negotiation has to start because, like, you know, uh, Hachette was one of the first and now Amazon's in the process of renewing almost all of their major publishing contracts. I think the only exception is Macmillan because they did it, like, a few years ago. But a lot of other publishers are going to be able to make pretty big news so on because uh, I guess with the whole agency pricing thing that the Amazon can't negotiate all the contracts at once but it's much like Apple where it has to be like in 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 increments so it's like one publisher and then once that's you know resoluted then there's the next one that has to be done so it's like this line of publishers that are basically not looking forward to having to renegotiate their contracts with Amazon. So my question is, Jeremy, you know, I know a lot of people are sick of all the Amazon Hachette news. The next contract negotiation that Amazon has to do with a major publisher, do you think it'll garner similar publicity? Uh, absolutely. Uh, unless, it's, 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 unless it gets done quickly, I think it absolutely will. And I think that, you know, the two to look out for are HarperCollins and Penguin Random House. HarperCollins, because the company's been incredibly savvy in uh, working with retailers and, and really doing everything that it uh, has had to do over the past few years when it comes to digital stuff. And, and Penguin Manor House is the largest publisher in the world, and, and watching how that company uh, it goes. It's going to be uh, really interesting. A lot of people said when Penguin and Random House joined forces that they were joining forces just to have better negotiating powers over Amazon. Uh, you know, I think that that's uh, you know a fair reading of the situation. I don't know if it's entirely true, but um, well, it's not know, the it, sole reason, but that 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 was a proponent of it because they they certainly. wanted. I think they wanted just better negotiating power with all their retail channels. You know, whether it's a, a Barnes and Noble store, a Funak, and, and, and you know or or, you know, uh, all the big stores, Waterstones, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Chapters Indigo in Canada, 
it, mm-hmm. it really gives them bigger negotiating power if you're responsible for one quarter of all books being published in the, in the world. <laughs> all right, so we'll leave it at that, folks. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. You guys have been listening to the Goody Reader Radio Show. Uh, you can listen to us on our website, goodyreader.com. You can also listen to it on iTunes via the podcast. We're also on SoundCloud, SoundHound, and TuneIn Radio, so you can search for us there. And everybody, take care. <laughs>